this book of Revelation is, I trust, getting to be a, uh, a book that each of you have been able to get into and start understanding more of what it means in terms of your own personal life as well as your own personal future. This is not just a book that uh, tells the whole scheme of everything that's going to happen in all the ages, but it's also a very personal book. And I trust that it becomes more and more personal to you as you hear these messages and as we look at, I think I could call it the gospel of Revelation. It really is a not just a book that, well, it's got some scary stuff in it, but no, it's got precious, precious nuggets and jewels and riches for us to hold on to and make that part of our life in the fabric of our life. So be looking for those, what I'd call, I guess, nuggets or those things that are a treasure as we go through this book and understand what God is really saying to the church. And, you know, it starts out with seven churches and that seven churches really represents all of churches worldwide as well as over the ages. And we're part of that. So Father, we just ask for your anointing, for your opening in our hearts so that your word would be real to us and not just something that tweaks our curiosity but doesn't go that much further. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our eyes. May we see the revelation of Jesus Christ in this book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ in the 144,000, a great crowd, and the Lamb from Revelation 7, 1 to 17. This is for us in our learning and our admonition, building our lives around the future of what Jesus Christ has for us. This book has got a special blessing, as we've said, that we want to continue to do this each week to remind ourselves of what this book is all about. And so if we could read this together again, this applies to us. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. And I don't think that that's just a vain repetition, that it, that would be our hearts as we listen, as we look at this book. After this, I saw four angels and standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, from the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 
144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from each of the tribes, Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what we're going to look at. Now may the Lord bless this word and this message so that we have understanding, so that we take something from this that will be applicable to our daily lives right now. This is not something that is far off in the future and we don't care about. In fact, it's getting very, very close and very near to us. This interlude begins in verses 1 to 3. You remember last week we were talking about the fact that the seventh seal actually becomes not the seals then, but it opens up to the trumpets. And so it's kind of looking at a telescope. We were looking at the seals, the seven seals, but there were only six listed. But the seventh one then morphs into the trumpets, which is another series. And so it's like a telescope. And that's what we're looking through in, first of all, the seals. Now we're finished with that, and we're going to be looking at these trumpets. And after that will be the bowls. And so each of those kind of extends out, and we're looking down at what is the consummation of the ages and what God has planned for the world. But chapter 7 becomes kind of an interlude. There are about 10 or 11, depending on how you count them, interludes as we look 
through these seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, we get a picture of the whole scheme of God and what he plans for the world. The focus is first on the sealed 144,000. Of the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, after the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jews were scattered, it is hard for us to ask a Jewish person, what tribe are you from? Well, I'm from the tribe of Issachar. Well, how do you know you're from that tribe? Well, that was passed down in generation to generation. But you know what? Many Jews cannot authentically point to which actual tribe they're from because they became scattered. But as they've come back to Israel and to the land of Israel, they've tried to identify that way and have not been able to do that. But what has happened here in this revelation here, I believe, is that the 12 tribes are described as equal in population, 12,000 people for each of those tribes. And so why is it all 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12 times? I think because there is not an exact number of the number of Jews. These are representative. And the 12,000 are just say, God has filled out for each of the tribes equally who they are and their significance. And they represent God's covenant promises, which are not just thrown out, but those tribes have a representative number of people who will be included with us, the church. And I believe this distinctive place in this chapter brings legitimacy to the fact that God has not cast Israel to the side. In fact, Jesus over and over again referred to Israel as the fig tree. The fig tree is a symbol of Israel. God has not forgotten Israel. God is not that kind of a God where he just casts people off, forget about you. No, God is the God of Israel and his promises are true and will be fulfilled. Who in the world would want to trust in a God if you mess up, you're out? Would you want to trust that kind of a God that gives you a covenant? And even though you broke it, he just says, no good anymore. No, God is faithful. And if it comes down to one person from a tribe, God will be faithful to his word. He is a covenant-keeping God. We need to know that from this passage, that God doesn't just choose here and there and make this his character. No, he is a covenant-keeping God. He is the God of covenant. And we as Christians need to learn to appreciate covenant. A couple of years ago, we went through the Old Testament and we talked about God's covenant and that he is a covenant-keeping 
God. This is talking about a remnant, the 144,000. I believe that there's many, many more of Jewish people who have discovered and understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And they will recognize him when he comes. And I believe that those people are also included. And so he hasn't thrown out those people just because they say, well, I'm Jewish and that's good enough. If they have recognized that Christ is the Messiah, they have believed in Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we as the church can take encouragement that we're just not a tag on where God rejected Israel and now he's got a new people. No, it doesn't work that way. It flows from his covenant promises to those who follow Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, the Messiah. And that's how we see ourselves as Gentile believers. Do you understand that? Do you understand that you are part with Israel, the redeemed Israel? We're not talking about the nation of Israel necessarily. We're talking about those whom God has chosen who have believed his word and have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. That is what the gospel is all about. And that's what we've been studying when we went through Romans and as we have gone through other books of the Bible. God is consistent with his promises and with his intentions to bringing the world to himself. Not everyone, but those who have received and believed. The 144,000, it says, are sealed. And those seals are symbolic of God's covenant promises. We have the number 144,000, which is basically 12 tribes times 12,000, which is a representative number of those of Israel counted in each tribe. But here we come now to the second point in regards to every nation and all tribes, peoples, and languages in verses 9 to 12. The uh, picture is of those who were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. What picture does this bring to mind? What are we thinking of here as we hear this statement? What story is it we're thinking about? Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. What does a white robe signify? It means righteous, purity. It means that we are included in those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And this is what was seen by John. There was also palm branches in their hands. Anything triggered in your mind when you hear about palm branches? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Interesting that the donkey has a colt, according to Matthew. A colt, a baby, and 
that means that Jesus wasn't just coming in as a warrior having conquered, but it means that he comes in compassion and relationship. That is important. And so Matthew includes that in his description, which the other apostles didn't, but that there was a colt with that donkey. And that colt followed on behind its mother as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem with the crowds shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The uh, significance then is of us welcoming Jesus as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And that is what will happen with all of us from all nations, tribes, peoples, and our languages, which differentiate us. But we are all together as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have here at MCC. How many different languages do we have? How many different people do we have in this room right now from different countries? It's all peoples of the world. And we don't even know what our DNA is. And they're declaring, here's an interesting word, victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I changed that on good advice from a good friend of mine whose commentary I've been reading. In the NASB it says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. But he said it's actually the meaning there and the context is victory. Now, when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, what did they say? Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Dave Hagelberg says that is not the context. It is not Hosanna. Even though soteria is the Greek word, the nuance is victory belongs to our God. He's already won it. He's already accomplished it. And that is what they're shouting in heaven. It's already done. The lamb has already been slain. And it is a finished work. And so salvation, it's God owns salvation. Not that he needed saving, but he owns it. And so he is the victor. Jesus Christ is the victor, the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. And then in this chapter, all heaven erupts in praises to the Godhead. And what do you see in that passage there? I'm not going to flip back right now. I don't have time. But there are seven distinct words that describe who the Lamb is according to what the people shout out. So that this then becomes the sevenfold blessing. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's go now then to where we are in terms of the Lamb. 
I gave you an assignment last week. How many did your homework? I asked you to go through your Bible and mark two words. The lamb. The lamb. It's 29 times it says the lamb in the book of Revelation. 29 times. And so find those, ferret them out, look for them, and put a special mark on them in your Bible. I don't care whether it's a brand new Bible you got. Go ahead and mark on it. You can mark in your Bible. Do that. Do it. It really is a good help for you to know what those special verse and what speaks to you in your devotions really helps. And you'd be surprised if you faithfully read your Bible, how marked up your Bible will get. And you should be buying a new Bible every two or three years. What? Yes. Because God wants us to eat it. He wants us to really bring it into our, our lives. Who are these? Clothed in white robes. And from where have they come? One of the elders asked this question of John. Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And John says, my Lord, you know. John didn't even know who they were. But he says, these are the ones who come out of great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That is the distinguishing mark on we as Christians, we who are non-Jewish, and even for our Jewish brothers and sisters who have acknowledged the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That is the distinguishing mark. These are the ones who come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That is the description of what we ourselves will go through, I'm sure. Hang on to that. Understand that's what you are called to as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a Christian. That is your calling. When you say, I am a Christian, you have followed even unto death. And we talked about martyrs. Are we ready for that in this nation? Are we ready in our homeland to be able to stand for Jesus Christ? To the cost of our own lives. The Lord bless you in this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night and he will shelter them in his presence. No more hunger, nor thirst, nor oppression. That is the promise. And he is a covenant-keeping God. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And he will guide them to springs of living water. In John 4, 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him 
will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is our calling as believers in Jesus Christ. And may we hold faithful to the end. And the only way that we will be able to do that, the only way, is that we understand the work that Jesus Christ has done as the Lamb of God. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our devotion and our love and our whole lives laid down for him? Is he worthy?